You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of 10 Things. The Chiefs thoroughly handled the Miami Dolphins in the wildcard round on Saturday night, winning 26-7 during the coldest game in the history of Arrowhead Stadium. Shout out to all the fans who were there. You're either awesome or crazy, perhaps a little bit of both. And just like most things, it depends who you ask on how you're viewed. If you were there, I personally love it. Hopefully everybody was safe and stayed warm. And we know two guys that were hot all night, Legereus Need and Trent McDuffie, locking up Tyreek Hill and the potent Dolphins offensive attack that led the AFC in both yards and points all season, and then shut out the lowest output of their season. We'll get into that and more, plus talk a little Rasheed Rice having the game of his career in the first playoff game of his career, going for over 100 yards, plus a ton more great stuff to talk through. The playoff battle-tested Chiefs team putting together their most complete win of the season to kick off the playoffs. It's exactly what we wanted to see as Chiefs fans. Let's talk about that and a lot more today on 10 Thanks. This is KC Sports Network, proudly presented by M Prize Bank. What's going on, Chiefs Kingdom? I'm BJ Kissel. Appreciate you for hanging out. Haley Lewis got the day off as she is actually traveling back from Arizona, but she'll be back for a special 10 Things episode on Wednesday. So be looking out for that. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe, whether you're watching live here on YouTube or Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, or if you're listening to the audio after the fact. Please tell your friends about us. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If that is your thing, we appreciate, uh, again, whether you're watching live or listening to the podcast audio after the fact, uh, here on KCSN, the highest ranked Chiefs podcast network now two years in a row. And that's because of all of you for supporting it and the entire crew that we have putting in some phenomenal work. Make sure you go back and check the post game show with the boys from the lab. Some good stuff last night. And again, hit that like and subscribe to show your support for some local kids trying to build a local company. Uh, and speaking of local companies, shout out Mission Taco Joint. A little taco time. They now have three locations in Kansas City and South Plaza, Crossroads, and Leewood. You get 10% off your order every Tuesday by mentioning KCSN. And you can grab in any given holiday a little bourbon drink while you're there, and you'll be helping support Braden's Hope and their passion for pediatric cancer research and funding. So a lot of synergies there with a couple of our partners, and we appreciate, again, everybody for supporting the businesses that support us. So shout out to Mission Taco Joint. All right, everybody, let's get started. So much to discuss with this game. I mean, Andy Reid, frozen mustache. Tyreek Hill getting drilled into the ground off the line of scrimmage from Legereus Sneed. Then he got lit up later in the game by Trent McDuffie on a quick pass. Charles Amenu, after the game, showing some love to KCSN, tweeting at us that our guys know ball. Love to see it. Now, looking forward, before we start breaking down this game a little bit more, the Chiefs, they will either face the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo, likely next Sunday, or if somehow the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Buffalo Bills, the Chiefs will be hosting the Houston Texans. So most likely scenario, the Chiefs going to be playing the Bills, and pretty cool, sucks for the Bills, but the Chiefs will be on two extra days of rest. I'm assuming that game is on Sunday. I think they've already come out and said that. I think Tucker mentioned that earlier uh, when we were talking before we recorded, but either way, the Chiefs are going to have a couple more days rest than the Buffalo Bills, who is likely their opponent. Um, is that's the big storyline. This week with the Buffalo Bills game getting moved, if you've seen any of the video, no chance that game is getting played. Uh, but for us, Saturday, Chiefs-Dolphins was so satisfying to watch. Uh, not going to lie. Arrowhead, rocking, swag surfing. Love to see it. Love to see Taylor Swift uh, getting into it. Uh, I just pissed off like half the people listening. I'm sorry, but get over it. Um, it's a big deal. And uh, a lot of fun to watch. See her get into it with Donna Kelsey. Everybody dancing. Uh, shout out to Anna, Brad Young. Everybody with the Chiefs 65 TPT team for keeping the crowd hyped and into the game during, again, the coldest game in the history of Arrowhead Stadium. Make sure if you're watching, whether you're watching on Twitter, whether you're watching on YouTube, uh, send us your questions, your comments. Uh, let us know what you're thinking about this game. If there's any stats, nuggets, things that we miss, uh, please let us know about those. Let's get right into this. Uh, 10 things to know. Uh, it's actually it ends up being like 15. So sorry, you're getting a bonus five things in this show. But uh, shout out uh, to the Chiefs for taking care of the Dolphins, giving us all a, another week of Chiefs football and uh, the chance to talk a little trash uh, to any Dolphins fans that you might have. But uh, let's start with number one. 
and that is Chiefs Dolphins ends up in the NFL record books for the coldest kickoff. The kickoff temperature for Saturday's AFC wildcard game against the Miami Dolphins was negative four degrees with a wind chill of negative 27. Those are the official numbers. It marked the fourth coldest kickoff in NFL history and the third coldest kickoff wind chill in NFL history. The only games colder as far as temperature in the history of the National Football League than the game last night between the Chiefs and Dolphins at Arrowhead. Uh, a negative six degree temperature between the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC wildcard round uh, in, in Minneapolis back on January 10th, 2016. And then the other games more than 40 years ago, negative nine degrees, the Bengals and the San Diego Chargers in the AFC championship game. That game was in Cincinnati on January 10th as well, back in 1982. And then the coldest game in NFL history, negative 13 degrees, the NFL championship between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys at Lambeau Field back on December 31st, 1967. Either way, anybody who attended any of those games, shout out. You have my respect. Uh, I kind of considered going when the watch party got canceled uh, that we were going to have up at the distillery, but fam didn't want to go. Kids didn't want to go. A little too cold for them. So respect everybody who was out there. And little nugget here. If this game, most likely next week, is going to be played in Buffalo on Sunday, come up to Holiday Distillery in Weston, Missouri. Uh, hang out with us. We are going to throw another watch party. Uh, it's going to be a complimentary cocktail when you get there, courtesy of KCSN and Holiday Distillery. And then we will also be having Mission Taco cater the event. That food is free. Come up, get some good tacos, some good drinks, hang out with some great people. Uh, should be a lot of fun. We'll have some information out on social media. We'll have a link to sign up because there are limited spots available up there. If you've ever been up to the distillery, it's one of my favorite places in the KC metro area, not just for watch parties, but just to hang out in general. So if you're looking for something to do next Sunday for the game, especially being a road game, come up to the distillery, hang out. It should be a great time. We'll have some special guests. Uh, a lot of the folks from KCSN will be up there as well. Um, but getting back, we already mentioned it, the coldest kickoff temperature at GHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in history. And it's the only sub-zero kickoff game at the stadium. Uh, the Dolphins, they played in the fourth coldest game at GHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium, going back to 1994 with a real temp of 10 degrees. Uh, that was back in 2000 and let's see here, 2008. Uh, it was the second coldest game by wind chill uh, since 1994. A lot of temperatures, a lot of negative, a lot of wind chill, a lot of whatever it was. It was really freaking cold. Uh, so shout out to everybody who was there. Um, I was like a little eight-year-old kid. Um, boiling water and throwing it outside of my house out in Overland Park and watching it disintegrate. Put it out on Instagram. Put it, one of the videos out on Twitter. I was having a grand old time uh, messing around with that. I don't know what Tucker, and shout out Tucker Franklin for producing this thing. Um, but I don't know what Tucker was doing with the cold, but I was acting like a child uh, throwing boiling water up into the sky. I was staying inside. You could, I had to take my dog out one time. I, I took her out and it was rough. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to stay inside now. I didn't realize how cool it was. I'd never done it. I've seen videos of people throwing like boiling water into the air, but I had done it myself. Uh, so my wife showed me a barstool uh, sports TikTok. It was an aggregated thing uh, from somebody at the stadium, but they showed somebody pulling a bottle of water out of the fridge, holding it up, and then watching it free. Like that was that was crazy. Uh, as far as crazy cold videos uh, that people had, the bo water bottle freezing in real time um, was nuts. But so let's move on. Yeah, science nuts. All right, so we move on to number two. Chiefs reached the division round for a seventh consecutive season. Uh, we talked about this all year with the Chiefs kind of having, quote-unquote, a down year, uh, particularly offensively uh, compared to what we've expected and uh, not normalizing greatness in this golden age of Chiefs football and all those types of things that if you listen or watch this show, you hear these things a lot. Uh, it's stats and nuggets like that. Uh, again, divisional round for the seventh consecutive season, and this is for a franchise that, before that win in Houston, the playoff win before Patrick Mahomes, who's the Andy Reid, who's the Nile Davis kicking off the game down in Houston in the wild card round with the 100 or 100 and something yard kickoff return to start that game. That game and that win broke the streak for the most consecutive playoff losses in NFL history. They had nine. That would have been 10. They got that dub. That wasn't that long ago. The Chiefs couldn't get past the first round of the playoffs. A couple of those being divisional rounds, a lot of them in the wild card. 
but not normalize the fact that the Chiefs now seven straight years in the final four in the AFC. Uh, and we know what they've done as far as hosting uh, consecutive AFC championships. So a chance that that could happen. Go Houston, uh, assuming that uh, the Chiefs end up playing the Bills. Houston beats the uh, Baltimore Ravens, which I think is a better chance that Houston could beat them than if somehow the Steelers beat the Bills. Don't think they're going to then turn around and go beat Baltimore. I think there's a chance that if Houston plays really well and Baltimore struggles a little bit, that Houston could win that game. That's how the Chiefs would host the AFC Championship game for what? What is it, Tucker? Six straight years? Just nuts. I think it's six. Yeah, I think this six, year would this be, be the sixth. Or one. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been five. This would be the sixth. But um, playoff. Yeah, let's shout out to the the Chiefs players. It's the cool part of that consistent success. You start seeing your players that have been playing in all these games start hitting these NFL milestones for the most playoff games played, not just in franchise history. We know those are going to be dominated by the last, basically the Andy Reid era here in Kansas City, even before Patrick Mahomes. Uh, like we talked about that game down in Houston, Chiefs getting in the playoffs with Alex Smith and stuff. But um, several Chiefs players returned to the postseason scene while several others saw their first starts on Saturday night. Travis Kelsey extended his franchise record with his 19th playoff start. Patrick Mahomes added a start to his playoff total. His 15 starts are the second most in franchise history. Chris Jones moved up to third in Chiefs franchise history with his 13th postseason start. Derek Nottie moved into a fourth-place tie with his 12th starting nod. And then several Chiefs just moved up on the team's all-time postseason appearance leaderboard as well. Guys like Kelsey, James Winchester, Harrison Butker, uh, Chris Jones appearing in their 16th playoff game. Just uh, a whole lot of fun uh, to see these guys continually get to the playoffs, find success in the playoffs. And I think what we saw last night was a group that was able to mentally handle the conditions uh, better than the Miami Dolphins. I think that was a storyline coming in. Uh, not that the Dolphins players hadn't ever played in cold weather. They all played in different places in college. They'd all played in cold weather, but it wasn't something they were necessarily used to. And I will agree with that. Um, regarding they practice, they live in Miami. They're there most of the time. They're just not used to it um, like they may have been at different points in their careers. Uh, but again, getting back to the playoff uh, games and most appearances, Travis Kelsey with the most playoff uh, starts and most playoff appearances in franchise history. All right, let's move on to number four. Uh, this is a fun one. The Chiefs defense holding the Miami Dolphins to single digits. Chiefs defense held Miami to just seven points in the game on Saturday night. That was the Dolphins' lowest output of the season with just seven points. First time they had been held two single digits all season long. Miami's regular season average was 29.2 points per game. That was good for second best in the NFL, trailing only the Dallas Cowboys. So it was the best in the AFC. And in terms of yards, the Dolphins led the NFL in the most yards. But that was the fewest points the Chiefs have allowed in a playoff game since they shut out the Texans in Houston, the game I was just talking about, back in the 2015 wildcard round. That was January 9th, 2016. And it was the seventh time in Chiefs franchise history that they held an opponent under 10 points in a postseason game. Without even looking at it, I'm guessing a lot of those games were way back when you had like five future Pro Football Hall of Famers with that defense that won Super Bowl four and Bob... Bobby Bell and Buck Buchanan and Willie Lanier and all those guys. You had Curly Culp. You had a ridiculous Emmett Thomas. You had all kinds of pro football Hall of Famers all over that defense. That's where I'm guessing a lot of those came from. But Chiefs defense shut out the Dolphins in the second half, keeping the Dolphins to just one of seven on third down in the second half. It is the second time in franchise history the Chiefs held an opponent scoreless in the second half of a playoff game. Again, going back to the only other time it had happened, the 2015 AFC wildcard at Houston against that Texas team. I always remember that one because Niall Davis started off with the uh, kickoff return. We Everybody's a little nervous because we've been talking about the record of uh, most consecutive playoff losses going into that, and for it to start the way it did was awesome. All right, this, getting into the defense a little bit more. Next-gen stats, Legereus Sneed. We're going to spend a minute talking about Legereus Sneed because that man gave us all a highlight. I know a lot of people in the box score, it's going to be about George Karloftis getting his sack. But if you were following the game on social media, uh, almost every single tweet uh, with that highlight of George Karloftis getting the sack, all eyes were on Legereus Need on his press coverage, just putting Tyreek Hill straight into the ground, then almost jumping on top of him, just physically manhandling him on that play. Uh, we saw Tyreek get loose. He got his a little bit, but overall, 
Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie. That was a master class. So Sneed put him in the ground all press coverage. And then we saw Trent McDuffie on the quick pass to him out on the out in the flat, get up into his face and just spear him right into the ground. It was a beautiful thing to see. Uh, but Next Gen Stats had this um, regarding Legereus Sneed. They, this is what they tweeted out. Legereus Sneed allowed just two receptions for 20 yards on eight targets and the Chiefs' wildcard victory over Miami, with including four tight window throws. And then across the two matchups this season against the Dolphins, Sneed allowed only a single reception on eight combined targets to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. So those two guys specifically, Legereus Sneed, absolutely locked up. It is criminal that that man did not end up um, on the all-pro, Pro Bowl team, any of it. Legereus Sneed absolutely deserves it. Uh, so moving on to number five, staying on the defensive side of the football, the effectiveness of the Chiefs on third down as the Chiefs defense continuously cut off the Dolphins draw, drives on Saturday night as they held the Dolphins to one of 12 on third down in that game. It was the second fewest third downs allowed and the second lowest third down percentage allowed in a postseason game in franchise history, at least dating back to 1991 when they started keeping track of this. And that was trailing only the 2018 AFC Divisional game versus Indianapolis when the Chiefs defense held the Colts to no conversions on nine third down attempts. Another game I don't really want to talk about too much um, because that just makes me pissed off, to be quite honest, uh, reliving the fact that they lost the game. They didn't give up a third down conversion. All right. So the Dolphins were unable to convert a single third down. They were held to just 136 yards compared to the Chiefs 257 crazy. All right, let's move on to number six. That's Patrick Mahomes using his feet and his arm in the victory. Mahomes went to work on Saturday with his feet, picking up 41 yards on two carries, and with his 28-yard rush on a fourth and five, Mahomes earned a fresh set of downs and passed running back Marcus Allen for the franchise record for most postseason rushing yards in Chiefs franchise history with 425. I'm going to say it again for effect. Patrick Mahomes now has the most rushing yards in Chiefs franchise history for the playoffs. Not just for a quarterback, he has the most rushing yards for anybody in the postseason. So shout out to Mahomes. Also, as we've talked about before, and I've mentioned several times over the years, we've talked about some of these stats. Sometimes they're cool and they give context. Sometimes it just makes me a little sad to know that there wasn't a lot of postseason success for the Chiefs before Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid got here. So Patrick Mahomes being the all-time leading rusher in the postseason is awesome for him. Not great for the franchise when looking at those numbers. wonder how that compares uh, to other franchises that had been in the playoffs as much or maybe not quite as much, but had been in the playoffs. Uh, it doesn't seem real great. But Mahomes finished the day with 262 passing yards, going 23 for 41 with one touchdown pass to rookie Rasheed Rice. We'll have more on Rice in a minute. But his one touchdown reception moved him – or one – Touchdown throw moved him into a tie for seventh place with Ben Roethlisberger for the most postseason touchdown passes in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes is now seventh in NFL history for postseason touchdown. He is 28 years old. This man is going to shatter NFL records. Uh, and you're like, oh, well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future as long as he stays healthy. He's like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. It could be a rebuilding. This is last year was a rebuilding year. This is like the double secret rebuilding year whatever you want to call it. And they're still getting it done in the playoffs. We saw, again, Chiefs' most complete victory of the season. Uh, it's exactly what we wanted to see. But Patrick Mahomes now needs two touchdown passes to pass Drew Brees for sixth all-time and five touchdown throws to pass Peyton Manning for his spot in the top five. All right. I need to gather myself for a second. Patrick Mahomes is five touchdown passes shy of entering the top five in NFL history for most postseason touches. Tucker, will you please come on to the show for a second? Yes. Make, is that as crazy to you as it is to me saying out loud? Well, can I, another layer to it is he's 28 years old. Um, yeah. That's, I, I know that, uh, I was looking some other things up on the other, um, he, I mean, he's already like soaring up charts and other statistics, which I'm sure you'll get to, but like the passing touchdown ones to me is, is quite jarring. He, like the, he could get that four. Close. Yeah, he could get four passes and be in the top five. He'd be tied with Peyton Manning. Yeah. So I'm looking at the chart now. Most career touchdown passes in NFL history. No surprise. Tom Brady, number one. Not even close. He's almost doubled up everybody. He's got 88 
postseason touchdown passes. Second place, tied for second, is Joe Montana yep. with 45. Now, granted, Joe Montana played 23 postseason games. Right. Tom Brady played 48. So, like, it's just because he was there all the time. Yeah. But Joe Montana has 45 career touchdown passes in the postseason. Aaron Rodgers also has 45 career postseason touchdown throws. Then fourth place is Brett Favre. Okay. Fifth place is Peyton Manning. Sixth place is Drew Brees. And then it's Ben Roethlisberger, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has done this in 15 games. Wow. I, the, 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 the games is when you add the context of the games to it, that's when it's like really, I think, jarring to the fact that he's just like, He's doing it in less games than these guys. Like you mentioned, the Tom Brady stats. Obviously, he has so he's going to be the top in all these postseason stats because he's played like basically four whole seasons or whatever it is, at just just in postseason games. Yeah. But for Patrick to be, uh, you know, now his fifteenth game, he's played his fifteenth game, and to be talked about being within striking distance to top five in some of these categories is uh, something that we should not take for granted in Kansas City. No, we shouldn't. It it's not normalizing greatness you can fancy it up however we want um but it's it's crazy that at the end of this postseason maybe one two maybe three more games i mean this guy nine is probably a stretch in three playoff i mean averaging three touchdowns a game it's yeah possible we've seen crazier right From we've Patrick seen Holmes. crazier things <laughs> we've seen him do crazier stuff if patch Holmes averages three touchdown passes and they get to the Super Bowl, but they win or lose, he will be tied for second with Joe Montana and Aaron Rodgers. Nine touchdowns, he's second. Now, he'd have to average like 12 touchdowns a game to catch Tom Brady at this point, but Tom Brady played 48 games. Right. So, again, it's uh, crazy to think uh, and put in that kind of context. All right, last one before uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, And that is Travis Kelsey racking up the catches. Another one of the fun ones. Travis Kelsey was effective on Saturday night, uh, totaling 71 receiving yards on seven receptions with a long of 22 yards. Now, I've got a thing at the end of the at the end of this show, the things I didn't like, the drops in Travis Kelsey, didn't really love. Uh, McCole Hardman, didn't really love what happened there. But you can have Travis Kelsey drop a few passes, and you can have McCole Hardman misread a couple. He got held on the one, I get it. But you can have that happen when Noah Gray makes the play when his name was called. When Clyde edwards Lair makes the kind of plays that he did when he caught the ball. And MVS, as much shit as he's gotten, he had one target. He caught the pass on a third down that we needed him to catch. So as long as some of the other guys are picking up the slap, and obviously Rasheed Rice, who we're going to get into uh, after this break, getting it done, uh, took the pressure off a lot of other people. But it's not like everyone has to be on. You just can't have everyone off in the ways that has happened before. So Noah Gray made a phenomenal catch i'm not going to put it on the level of nico collins for anybody who watched that game with his ability to kind of turn his head and make what was probably a less than accurate pass uh nico collins uh, for him to turn the way that he did in the texans game to make that catch very similar to noah gray i think patch Mahomes threw it on the wrong shoulder um and if not it was just a great uh, adjustment from noah gray to make that catch uh but that was one of the weird plays in the game i thought where i was like okay these guys are stepping up they're making plays around him uh, it's what you need to see in the playoffs is where it's not all Travis Kelsey. It's not all Rasheed Rice. And when Kelsey struggles a little bit, dropping passes like we saw, other guys step up and make plays. And again, Clyde Ordezelaire, I don't know if he had like 30 yards from scrimmage. Uh, his numbers weren't great. Obviously, he had the fumble at the end. But that was some pretty impactful 30 yards, especially two of his plays where it was all effort. You could see him fighting for extra yards. We're all watching on TV. It's a lot. Of, these are the cool things about watching on TV. As opposed to being there, as you can see the first down marker, you can see the second effort getting there. Sometimes, depending upon where you're sitting live at Arrowhead, it's hard to see that. Um, but for all of us at home, we're fired up. He's getting everybody at home fired up. Uh, talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the plays that he made. Uh, but getting back to Travis Kelsey, he now owns 140 career postseason receptions. Tucker, I'll bring you back on for this one. That ranks as the second most in NFL history. Travis Kelsey only trails Pro Football Hall of Fame wide receiver Jerry Rice for the NFL record for postseason receptions at 151. Travis Kelsey is 11 receptions shy of having the most receptions in NFL postseason history. Yeah. That one's going to be awesome when it happens because then he's the postseason GOAT 
it's not receiver. It's not only tight ends. You're talking about pass catchers, most receptions. Kelsey is just the third player in NFL history with more than 100 career posting receptions with Jerry Rice and then, not a surprise, Julian Edelman are out there with 118 postseason receptions. But again, Travis Kelsey, Tucker, 11 receptions shy of having of tying and 12 for being alone for the most. They play two games. He's got it. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I did. that's what I did the best this week was about both Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, how this duo seems like they're the best in the playoffs. It's crazy to look at those numbers. He already has the NFL record for tight end and playoff catches and receptions and like th- that, that that was a long time ago now we're looking at jerry rice arguably the greatest postseason receiver best catcher of all time that's what we're talking about having the same conversation as travis kelsey the tight end uh for the chiefs is it's just kind of a crazy thing too um and i do think that it, it's really interesting i'm gonna look this up i think they need one more touchdown to have the most between uh patrick mahomes and travis kelsey i think they need one more uh, to get the most ever by a duo in the uh, playoffs. So, wow, I thought too. Gronk would have been up there. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one to look up because I would have assumed that they would have been um, out there. But that is nuts. Uh, you look that up. We're going to take a like 15-second break. We'll be right back. If you listen to the audio, it's going to be longer than 15 seconds. This is where we put in uh, our licensing deal with Blue Wire to put in their ads. If you're watching on YouTube, we'll be back in about 15 seconds. Appreciate you all for hanging out. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network. All right, welcome back to the show. Appreciate all you for hanging out. Uh, everybody's hanging out with us live, breaking down and, and learning some new stuff. Uh, a lot of this information is from Twitter, it's from Next Gen Stats, from Pro Football Focus. A lot of it's from the Chiefs Communication Department with the notes that they put out. Shout out to the PR staff for all the work that they put into this. Uh, but we'll get more into this. We're about halfway through. Again, appreciate everybody for watching live. If you got any questions, comments, uh, want to join the show, let us know. Tucker will bring those on. Um, next one, number eight, Isaiah Pacheco. He lead the ground attack. Pacheco led tonight's, or Saturday night's, uh, ground attack en route to the Chiefs 26-7 victory over the Dolphins, carrying the ball 24 times for 89 yards with a touchdown. Pacheco broke away for a 23-yard rush in the first quarter to put the Chiefs in the red zone. Then in the fourth quarter, Pacheco was able to punch the ball in for a touchdown on three-yard rush after a direct snap to put the Chiefs up 26-7. Tucker, I do want to get your reaction on this because I've got maybe a a kind of a hot take, and I I understand. I'm going to clarify a little bit before I bring it up. Probably lukewarm by the time I'm done clarifying. I know Pacheco had more yards than Clyde Edwards-Elaire. I know that in general, he got the ball more, made him more of an impact, but I can't remember any of the plays from Isaiah Pacheco in this game, but I can remember two plays from Clyde Edwards-Elaire because of when they happened uh, and the time that they happened where he didn't think he was going to get the first down on key third downs. He got him. So awesome for Pacheco. He continues to be the workhorse for the Chiefs. It's great to see him run the ball 24 times. Surprised me with those numbers uh, that Andy Reid and 
uh, company stuck to the run. But um, talk about the running game. I can't not mention Clyde edwards Lair. I've been a Clyde fan uh, since the beginning. I never really cared when he got drafted or wasting the draft pick and all that because once he's on your team, he's on your team. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to run away from anybody uh, in breakaway speed. Pacheco doesn't really do that either. No. That's not Clyde's game. What it is, pushing the pile. It's all of a sudden a five-yard game becomes a 12-yard game because you're bringing a little juice to the offense. It's catching a ball on the flat, fighting for a first down, and continuing to drive. Uh, those are two plays and things that I'll remember from Clyde Edwards-Alaire's performance, taking nothing away from Pacheco, but that's what stands out to me. He's found a role, too. I think that's the biggest thing for, for him is he no longer has to shoulder the weight of, okay, I have to be a first and second down back. I've got to do this. i got to do that. As a first-round guy, a guy who's drafted the first round, there's a lot of expectations that come with that. And now he's at a spot, too, where he can go in and make plays when he when he needs to make plays. And I think that that's really good. And you've seen him put on what appears to be put on a little bit of weight. And it, and it shows in his game, I think, that he has that little power back, that, that third-down conversion when he didn't refuse, when he refused to go down before the third down, uh, before the first down marker was impressive and he's been able to I, I think by putting him in the role that he's in now he's been able to be more effective and they can use him more effectively and with Isaiah Pacheco being that work look he's built to be a workhorse right he's built to take 24 yeah. carries he's built to do all that maybe Clyde wasn't built to do all that maybe more of a rollback and and I talk about all the time how running backs you gotta have a crew you gotta have yeah. a bunch of those guys because that is a position of attrition Saw with Jarek McKinnon, you got to have about like three guys you trust to, t- to carry the ball and, and to get some uh, carries and touches out the back there because you're going to need every single one of them. But I really do like what Clyde has done. Really, not even just last week's game or like yesterday's game, but the last few weeks. He's he's really come into his role and he's uh, played really well. Love it. All right, let's move on to number nine. Speaking of love, can't believe it took us till number nine to talk about this guy, but Rasheed Rice making it his first career postseason game. Uh, Rice earned his post first career postseason start, first game, in Saturday night's game. It opened up the Chiefs scoring, pulling it, pulling in an 11 yard touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes to put the Chiefs up seven to nothing. And with just over a minute left before halftime, Rice caught a 39 yard pass from Mahomes to put the Chiefs in field goal range, which k- kicker Harrison Bucker converted to put the Chiefs up on top, 16 to seven. Rice finished the day with 130 yards on eight receptions, both game highs. Both marks are also the Chiefs' rookie single-game postseason receiving records. Rice's production tonight on Saturday night marked the seventh most receiving yards by a player in a postseason game in franchise history. Rice also earned the sixth-place spot in league history for receiving yards in a playoff game by a rookie. Again, Rasheed Rice, sixth place, sixth most receiving yards in a playoff game by a rookie, according to Next Gen Stats. Rasheed Rice gained a career-high 130 yards on eight receptions, the second-most yards by a rookie in a playoff game since 2016. So, all his other ones from way back when. Rice had all 12 of his targets come against off-coverage, taking advantage of the cushion with 80 yards after the catch. That's a pretty cool stat. Now, going to the Chiefs record book, most receiving yards in the postseason for a rookie. Again, Rasheed Rice, number one. Second place, Elmo Wright. December 25th, Christmas, 1971. That was a while ago. Is that December 25th, 1971? Is that the longest game in NFL history, Tucker? I think it is. It was a Christmas Day game against Miami. I think it was 1971. I could be wrong. That's why we do these live, so everybody can tell me they're wrong while they're listening. But I think it was. A sh- Am I right? You're, you're nodding. Nice. On top. I'm on it. That was good. All right, number three, most receiving yards in a playoff game in franchise history. That's a fun one. Isaiah Pacheco, 59 yards receiving. January 29th. This is for rookies, I should say. January 29th, 2023. And then Tony Hargain, January 2nd, 1993. I consider myself a pretty educated Chiefs fan. I'm sorry, Mr. Hargain and to his family, but I've never heard of you. Uh, That's pretty cool that you're in the record books. Something to show your kids and your here on KCSN, appreciate you. And then Chris Conley, January 16, 2016. Uh, he had 33 yards in a postseason game. So, uh, and then most receptions, I'm not going to run through all those. Uh, still uh, a lot of Rasheed Rice, Chris Conley, Niall Davis, Mike Garrett going way back. Uh, Dexter McCluster. Got a Dexter McCluster game here. January 9th, 2011. Uh, that was 
probably against the Ravens in a game that we were just happy to be there. There was no chance we were winning that game. For any Chiefs fans, remember that? That was very much a, there's, we're not winning this, but man, we kept it close with long Jamal run to get that one started. But uh, anyway, man, we've come so far, Chiefs fans. Uh, enjoy it. All right. And then the NFL record book for the most receiving yards in a postseason game by a rookie. The top spot is held by DK Metcalf. Hunter had 160 receiving yards in a postseason game his rookie year back in 2020. Uh, Jeremy Macklin. Andy Reid's part of that one. Jeremy Macklin, 146 yards on January 9th, 2010. Keith Jackson had 142 back in 1988. Keenan Allen back in 2014 had 142. And then Reggie Bush. Back in 2007, uh, on January 21st, had 132 yards and then sixth place, all alone right there. Our guy, Rasheed Rice, January 13th, 2024, 130 yards. Pretty good. All right, number 10, back to the other side of the football. Talk, talk a little Mike Edwards. He immediately made an impact in his first postseason appearance as a member of the Chiefs. As the Dolphins were driving, Edwards put a stop to it with an interception of Dolphins quarterback Tua Tonga-Valoa. His interception Saturday night marked the third postseason interception of his career. Edwards went on to have two tackles, one solo, one pass defense with his interception as he continues to step in for Brian Cook and he is making plays. And shout out to Charles Amenahu, uh, who he knows we know ball here at KCSN. He's the one who got into his face. Uh, they made a deal of it on the broadcast. Like, look at how he got in his face. And don't get me wrong, Charles. A minute, Mr. Amenahu, I know you got in his face. But two was bailing, too. Two was not stepping into that throw. He wasn't so close that he couldn't. But Amenahu was on his way there. Uh, he's going to make a play, but uh, shout out Mike Edwards can, for continuing to make an impact for the Chiefs defense as he steps in there. Uh, number 11, Nick Bolton leading the tackling charge in his seventh postseason appearance, sixth start. Nick Bolton totaled 10 tackles, five of which were solo on Saturday night, led the team in both categories. As Bolton also recorded one tackle for loss, and with 10 combined tackles in Saturday night's victory, he tied his previous single-game postseason tackle high of 10. Uh, which also he did against the Jacksonville Jaguars last year on January 21st, 2023. All right, let's move on to number 12. There's something else I was going to mention about that, but we'll get to it in a minute. Number 12, George Karloftis, my guy. C-Sack Tua. And the play that everybody was watching Legereus need on the highlight. All right, George Karloftis, with less than two minutes to play in the first half, Karloftis sacked. Dolphins quarterback Tua Tonga-Valoa for a loss of seven yards, which forced the Dolphins to punt on fourth and 20. And then in the third quarter, Karloftis was able to get to Tonga-Valoa again, this time teaming up with Chris Jones for a half sack. With his one and a half sacks in Saturday night's AFC wildcard game, Karloftis notched his first career multi-sack postseason game. In just his fourth postseason appearance, Karloftis now has two and a half career postseason sacks. He ended the game with six tackles, three of which were solo. Which marked both, both of which marked postseason single game eyes for him. He added one tackle for loss and three quarterback hits to his one and a half sacks. And according to Pro Football Focus, he had four quarterback pressures, same number that Charles Menehu did. That defensive front is getting after it. You combine guys who can get after it anyway with an aggressive play caller and Steve Spagnolo. It's not going to fit this show. I'm hoping the boys do the defensive breakdown this week. Uh, there have been some stuff on social media talking about the way that he rotates the safeties. I'm not going to pretend to think that that doesn't happen often or that other people don't do it. Lab guys, I know, talked about it a little bit on the postgame show where you've got a too-high safety look. They rotate down as if one safety's coming into the box, and all they're doing is kind of going in a circle, and they're going right back to the too-high look, which apparently was what was confusing Tua. I don't know how common this is. I'm not going to pretend to know, but it's pretty damn cool when you watch it happen on the next-gen stats. Now, Ollie Connolly. I was the one who put it out. You can go to my social media. I had a chance to to post that on the interception for Mike Edwards. It's exactly what they did. Where they started with a too high look. One safety drops down. I think it was Mike Edwards. He drops down like he's going into the box to cover the run, whatever. Tua reads that, and then Mike Edwards just continues on. It basically becomes the too high on the opposite side, doing a circle around. Pretty damn cool. Uh, and I'm hoping that it's the defensive. Or I have no idea to, why I believe this. I'm hoping it's the defensive defensive version of something Spagnolo saw from a defense in like 1930. I think that would be pretty cool if we get the same kind of thing. Uh, as the words come out of my mouth, there's no way they were rotating safeties like that, covering a passing game that was non-existent back in 1930. I have my producer shaking his head. This is why you get it live, folks. I uh, just get random thoughts. Uh, I'll talk, talk through it. I'm going to talk my way through it. All right, number 13, 
Chris Jones gets credit for the takedown. Jones teamed up with Karloftis to sack Tua Tonga-Valoa for a four-yard sack late in the third quarter like we just talked about. That half sack gives Jones two and a half postseason sacks for his career. That's interesting. Chris Jones, George Karloftis both have the same number of postseason sacks in their careers. Uh, George Karloftis, obviously in his second year, uh, he added two quarterback pressures and one tackle to his night. Again, talking about Chris Jones. Um, pretty damn cool. All right, number 14, Harrison Butker. Stays hot. And he breaks a franchise record again. Harrison Butker kept up his momentum in the tough temperatures, converting all four of his field goals attempt on Saturday night, making him from 28, 26, 32, and 21. Not great for the Chiefs' red zone offense, let's be honest. Uh, we're really going to get Nick picky here. Uh, but it's good to know that your kicker can convert kicking a, an ice block. So that was impressive. Uh, he also, he is in Butker, also added two PATs on the day. With his 14 points on the night, Butker now owns 131 career postseason points and moved into seventh place for the most postseason points, regardless of position, in NFL history. That's cool. His 131 points also moved him into the sixth place spot in NFL history for most postseason points by a kicker. That means there's only one guy. Who's the non-kicker up here? Jerry Rice. Shocker. Uh, so top seven, six of them are kickers and the most points scored in the postseason. The other one is not is the greatest receiver of all time uh, in Jerry Rice. Um, his four made field goals for Butker is sets a new franchise record for most field goals made in a postseason game. That's a little surprising. Uh, his 14 points tonight marked the fourth most points in a franchise history for a single postseason game. Crazy. The four took four field goals is the most for a post for a kicker in Chiefs franchise history. That's another one of those like yeah, it's sad, or is it just kind of surprising? Four field goals is a lot, though. I feel like four field goals and yeah, I mean they lost to Pittsburgh that year. That Pittsburgh kicked six field goals and did score damn. It's, it's true. I don't know. I don't. Four is a four is every once in a while. You get near things that just set me off. You get even like adjacent to it a little bit. It's gonna set me off. Thinking about that damn Pittsburgh, the James Harrison holding call, just gonna get. I thought this was a really good comment here from uh, from Joe Cunningham. Why was Butker not an All-Pro? I mean, he was perfect for most of the season. Did he miss two kicks all year? Maybe, maybe one kick all year. I think Aubrey missed a kick. The freaking soccer guy didn't play college football for Dallas. It's probably one. Of, he's going to be a story one day. Not about the Chiefs, but the Dallas kicker. His story should be like a thirty for thirty. Like they should yeah. do a special. I, um, I hope Dallas makes it to the Pro Bowl or Super Bowl just for that. Although then I would owe Matt Miller a lot of money. ESPN's Matt Miller and I have a standing bet that Dak's never going to win an NFC title, and it's a decent chunk of money. I don't think he'll ever get past the NFC. And now seeing what the 49ers are, I feel even better about that bet. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's run through all list off very quickly. Uh, the most points scored in NFL history for uh, in the postseason for mainly kickers. Uh, first place, not a surprise here, Adam Vinatieri. Uh, is the most points scored in the post in NFL postseason history with 238. Uh, Steven Guskowski, also not surprising, 212. And then you have David Akers, Mason Crosby, Gary Anderson, going way back. He played forever. Uh, took kick for 22 years. Uh, and then Jerry Rice and then Harrison Butker. And he Harrison Butker passed both Emmett Smith and Thurman Thomas uh, in the game yesterday. And Robbie Gould, actually. He moved up quite a few with the 14 points that he had in that game. And then again, uh, it's all the same guys that I just mentioned, less Jerry Rice as far as uh, most points scored for kickers. And yeah, here we go. Most field goals made in postseason game franchise history. Four, three field goals had happened, what, eight times. Uh, four of those were Harrison Butker. And then you have a Nick Lowry, a Cairo Santos, a Ryan Suckup, and a Jan Stenerud, Hall of Famer. Um, so yeah. The most points scored in a postseason game in Chiefs franchise history is 18. Happened three times. Uh, two players. Travis Kelsey. That was a game. I don't even have to look that up. I know that was a game against the Texans when they got down uh, so much that Kelsey caught like three touchdowns in like six minutes, it seemed like, after the fake punt and then the fumbled kickoff. Uh, and the other two were both Damian Williams. Um, also not surprising. That dude just absolutely went off for those couple of years uh, in 2019 and 2020. So those are all the things 
uh, that we've got to educate you. And then again, the things I didn't love. There's a whole lot of loving on it um, here at the end of the show, and we'll answer any questions uh, anything you guys have uh, before we let you go and get back to watching a little playoff football. But a few things I didn't love uh, from the game. Again, Travis Kelsey's drops, not what we want to see from him in a game that's going to be closer. We need him catching the football. Um, although, again, it was great that guys like MVS, Noah Gray, Clyde Edsby-Lair, uh, those guys stepped up and made the catches when they were needed. They weren't. Gray's was a really nice one. Uh, but MVS, it was just pretty damn impressive. And just one of those, like, you can take a sigh, like, okay, he is still a professional football player. He's still a professional wide receiver. He can catch the ball thrown his direction. Um, so that was awesome to see. Um, oh, my God. I just caught wind of the Dallas Green Bay score as Green Bay is up 14 to nothing. Uh, I really need to get off this show and go watch that game because uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, but again, uh, one other guy, Justin Watson, made a couple of nice catches. He had two receptions for 20 yards in this game. So Kelsey had his three drops. But as long as the other guys can make those third down receptions, I know the NBS one was a big third down. I believe Noah Gray's was as well. No Clyde edwards Lairs was. And I know at least one of Justin Watson's uh, was a third down catch as well. And then we saw Richie James get in the mix catch. I believe his was a third down catch as well. So Patrick Mahomes spreading the ball around on third down. Uh, but again, things I did love, Travis Kelsey's drops. Don't expect that to be a consistent thing. Uh, McColl looking lost. Didn't love to see that. I know the one time he got held, should have been called. It's complaining about it, it's fine. Whether he lost it in the lights, whatever it was, only took a few deep shots in that game. Did not connect. Patrick Mahomes did not connect on a pass beyond 20 yards down the field as good as he was. He was 7 of 10 intermediate across the middle between 10 and 19 yards. He was absolutely on fire. He had a 93 PFF grade on throwing intermediate um, across the middle. Uh, a lot of those being to Rishi Rice on some of those over route, uh, but saw the success there. Didn't love uh, McColl not really even giving some of those throws a chance to be completed um, as somebody that we need him to be able to track a deep ball because we've kind of lost faith uh, in both Justin Watson and MVS, their ability to catch a deep pass that is not an angled route, not an over route, not a dig, not something where they're coming horizontally across the field. We need somebody that can track a ball when it's thrown deep, like on a go route, who can get under it, stem in or out, depending upon where the ball's at. McCole didn't really give those a chance as I didn't love, didn't love that. Also didn't love Juwan Taylor getting more freaking penalties. Uh, if you look at the PFF grades, Juwan Taylor is not going to want to look at those. Um, we talk about this stuff because the Chiefs won. If they lost, there's going to be a lot of conversation, a lot of questions about Juwan Taylor. He is still going to be a starting tackle for the Chiefs next year. They paid him a lot of money. He is very athletic. He can get there. He has the ability to do it. He's just not getting it done right now for whatever reason. Um, something you want to see get cleaned up, but I'm bringing up the grades right now. Juwan Taylor was the lowest graded player for the Chiefs on offense uh, against the Bills. Uh, or excuse me, against the Dolphins. His overall grade was 43.8, had the two penalties calls against him. His run blocking grade was 30.7. So the reason his grade was so low, a lot of times you'll assume a guy's grade was really low because you see him give up all these pressures, they give up sacks, whatever. Juwan Taylor's was in the run game mainly, according to PFF. Uh, McCole Hardman was the second lowest graded Chiefs player offensively. Um, with a 45.9 grade. So again, not a huge surprise there. Didn't love to see that. And then Tucker, I'll bring you on for this last one. The refs, I'm not going to complain because we won, but they still stunk. They missed some really obvious things. And I, I'm sure the conversation was happening. I wasn't on my phone at the time when I was watching the game. We had the kids running around, and I was I was the idiot, again, outside throwing boiling water into the sky because it was cool. But the hit on Patrick Mahomes that broke his helmet that we haven't talked about. Yeah. That's helmet to helmet. <laughs> like, yeah. That's kind of exactly what they're trying to do away with. Um, I'm not sure the helmet company is going to be real thrilled about all the, the discussions about the broken helmet. No. Um, they got to get those things tested for negative 30 degree weather, apparently. Um, but yeah, didn't, didn't love the refs. Didn't love that at all. It's one of the things too about the officiating that the ref... The officiating this year, I feel like it's been worse than in years past. Like, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just a more magnification on on you know, what they've been doing. But I just feel like across the league, not even just talking about the Chiefs, across the league, there's been some some pretty bad missed calls. And, you know, I, I think it's funny always, too, when I get on Twitter and Patrick Mahomes got, got a roughing the passer call, right? And then people are always like, Patrick Mahomes always gets those roughing the passer calls. That's not true. 
uh, the helmet helmet was a was a big missed one. You obviously mentioned to the uh, the one from McColl where he gets tugged and then kind of uh, sure. gives up and looks for the ball or looks for the ref for the flag. But that was a tough one. Would have loved to see something there. Um, I think a lot of people had some problems with the the one with Tyreek Hill caught the touchdown that they called pass interference on Trip McDuffie. I think that was pass interference. But there's a, I, I think what people want is just consistency. If you're going to call all of this stuff, just make it consistent. But there's just a lack of consistency. And there's some upset people, too, with how they handled Patrick's helmet getting broken. Like, they should have just pulled him out of the game. They should have, like, stopped the game completely and then had him flip helmet. Like, that probably shouldn't happen. But it was such a rare thing. Like, I've never seen a helmet do that, ever. Uh, so I don't think anyone really knew what to do in that circumstance. Yeah, I mean, the ref should. I mean, they even said it afterwards. Like, I was shocked that they just let him switch helmets and run out there. I don't think they yeah. scored. Um, on that. I think they kicked a field goal. Well, they would have. They kicked a field goal on every red zone drive, it seems like, except for the first one. Um, but, yeah, I I was surprised they let him stay there, but they just would have brought Blaine Gabbard in and ran the ball. Like, it would have been the same result. Uh, so it didn't change the complexion of anything for any Dolphins fans that are complaining about it. Um, but still pretty crazy to see a helmet shatter like that. And you know the only reason it did it was the cold. Right. Like, otherwise, helmets that you would have seen that ever. I've never seen a helmet break like that. Uh Almost at any level of football. I've seen face masks break. That happens quite a bit, yeah. uh, especially with the linemen and then the defensive line. You see them bend in, maybe not shatter like that, but you see them kind of bend in and break. Um, I wonder if you know, you're not at the top of the helmet. The helmet that he wears is a Vices. It's a Vices, I think it's called Zero Two. Uh, I wasn't going to name the, the name of the company just in case, but yeah, it was a Vices. They made a big yeah. deal of him being one of the new quarterbacks that went to those new helmets that was based out of Seattle. Uh, yeah. When I was working at the Chiefs, they sent us all the information. They made a big deal of it because they were safer. Um, and you can kind of tell which ones they are because they're the bigger, <laughs> like, they kind of space out. You can tell which players are using them. But, um, yeah, I was I was expecting there to be some sort of PR statement or release from Vices saying. If you look uh, at the helmet, too, the, the part where it cracked is, like, the part where it has, like, the mesh. It's not really mesh, right, but there's, like, holes right there. So yeah. I wonder if it was just, like, it was really cold and, like, that was just the weakest point of the helmet. Sure. Um, yep. but yeah, that is, a, it is a cool picture. Shout out to the photographer from the Kansas city star that I saw take the picture of like at impact, but you see the piece flying off. Like, man, that's a really, it's a really, uh, just shows how brutal the sport is, I think. And it does illustrate how that was helmet to helmet crown of the head, right on the face mask that should be penalized or trying to take that out of the game. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, that is just one of the things that I had, I had never seen before. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap this show up. Just get a couple of thoughts. If anybody in the comment section has any questions, anything that we want to have us react to, uh, we can hang out here for just a couple more minutes and, again, get back to the uh, the old Cowboys and Packers. But uh, while we're waiting for any questions or comments to come through, uh, make sure if you're in the Kansas City area and you're looking for a cool place to watch the game, maybe try something a little different for the playoff game next week in the divisional round. Come up to the holiday. Come up to Holiday Distillery with us. Uh, again, we'll have Mission Taco catering the thing. Uh, all kinds of drinks, all kinds of fun. They're gonna have uh, board games, um, like uh, bags to play inside. Well, it's gonna be cold. It's not gonna be like it was. I don't think uh, it'll be a nice balmy like twenty. I'm sure it'll heat up a little bit. Um, but source weather. Uh, make sure you sign up. There's limited spots that are available. Uh, the event center down there only holds so many people. Uh, but we've had five, six, seven watch parties there over the last couple of years. And it is honestly like my favorite place to watch the game. Kent, um, Haley Lewis and I will be up there doing the post game show. Uh, hopefully talking about a victory over the Buffalo bills and what's going to be another, uh, bad weather game, uh, regardless of what happens. There's no way it's gonna be nice in Buffalo next week. Uh, I could say that much, but, um, trees with leaves. Yes. I see your comment. Holiday distillery. Yes. Some people call it McCormick. Some people call it holiday. It's up. It's in Weston. If you're in the Kansas City metro area, depending upon what part of the metro, Tucker's up in like Iowa. So it's only 25, 30 minutes for him. It's about 40, 45 minutes uh, for us out here in uh, Overland Park in uh, the south end of the city. Uh, but it's easy to get to. It's uh, off the beaten path a little bit. But again, awesome space. Uh, get a chance to hang out with uh, some great people, some more subscribers and people with our stuff. So, um, Trees Lee, dude, it will be at home against Houston. Uh, is what Trees with Leaves have to say. You've got a lot of faith in the Pittsburgh Steelers without T.J. Watt or an injured T.J. Watt. Um, man, I would never put anything but across Mike Tomlin. Uh, he's yeah. one of the best coaches in the NFL. Um, I get that. 
Uh, I'm never going to put anything about Josh Allen has the ability to play a four five turnover game. Like how? Not pretend that that's not possible. Don't think it's likely. Uh, better chance of Chiefs end up playing them, and then because I think Houston's got a better chance of beating Baltimore. I'd rather play the AFC Championship game at home um, against Houston, which would make nothing against Houston, but it would make next week's game a de facto AFC Championship game, right? I tell you what, I would uh, love to see Steve Spagnuolo against a uh, rookie quarterback and CJ Stroud. Look, CJ Stroud's he's been he's been dealing, he's been playing really well. Steve Spagnuolo's been doing some crazy stuff recently, and I would love to see him uh, dial some stuff up. I just looked at the weather report for next Sunday uh, in the Kansas City area. Looks like a high of about, we're going to be getting the high temperature at about kickoff, if it is a night game, about 35, 36 degrees. Um, So it's going to be getting warmer. Or in Buffalo. Here, in Kansas City. Uh, I was saying for the launch party. I'm guessing, Um, wouldn't they put that as the early game because of the weather? Why put a night game yeah, in Buffalo when you know it's going to be cool? Like, I know they don't think like that. They're going to think about ratings and all of that. But purely from a weather standpoint in right. Buffalo, if you know it's going to be bad, I would put that game in the afternoon. It might be a little bit warm. Just, yeah, Buffalo, it looks like it'll be about 20 degrees in Buffalo around like 3 o'clock. Um, Wear some sunglasses and sleeveless shirt. Yeah, I mean, that's... I would just, I'm looking at their weather report right now. They have snow projected until Wednesday, like nonstop snow until Wednesday in Buffalo, which is insane. Oh, a couple stats that I had found that I brought up earlier in the show. I yeah. was right. Um, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey have connected for 14 postseason touchdown passes or touchdowns. Their 14 touchdown connections are second most for a quarterback and pass catcher duo in NFL history. They need two more to pass Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski for most in NFL history. So Tom Brady and Gronk are at 15, and they passed uh, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana a while ago at 12. Uh, so they just need two more touchdown connections for to be the most connected duo in NFL history. Um, also, in terms of wins, Patrick Mahomes, like when it when it comes to wins in the playoffs, is honestly quite insane. When you start to think about, he's eighth right now, I believe, in uh, playoff wins, six seasons as a starter, eighth. In most postseason wins by by a quarterback, uh, he needs if he is he would be third in playoff wins if they win the Super Bowl this year. So he would go from eighth to third if they win three more playoff games. <laughs> nuts. I mean, that's passing. He'd he'd only be second behind Joe Montana. He would pass Peyton Manning, Steve Young, Elway, Bradshaw, Roethlisberger, Barb. This ain't. In postseason wins for a quarterback, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. And Brady. And the well, right. Brady is at thirty five. Um Okay. And then Montana's at sixteen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's where I was off. Sandy was fifteen or sixteen earlier, but yeah. Good stuff. Again, we appreciate everybody for hanging out with this special episode of Ten Things. Haley will be back. We'll do another episode on Wednesday once we know who the Chiefs opponent is going to be. And we'll have another show. We have a special guest joining me from the KCSN World Headquarters tomorrow morning. Uh, Dustin Colquitt, former Chiefs punter, Super Bowl champion, is going to join us in studio uh, to give his thoughts on the game, break it down a little bit, and then the lab will be going live tomorrow night. Only Weird Games has moved to Tuesday this week. They're going to go Tuesday afternoon because they would be, during their normal recording time, they would be recording in the middle of the Bills playoff game, and we're going to wait for so those guys can talk a little bit about who the opponent's going to be. So a little change to the schedule this week for KCSN with the Only Weird Games guys going on Tuesday. But again, Dustin Colquitt and I will be there tomorrow morning getting his thoughts on this game, breaking stuff some stuff down, and maybe announcing some things. We'll see how everything goes. Uh, but again, make sure to come hang out with us up in Western Missouri at Holiday Distillery for the divisional round next week, um, most likely on Sunday against the Uh, But again, appreciate everybody for hanging out. Please tell your friends about us. Hit that like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. And if you're listening to the audio, please give us a review. Uh, Let's people find us some more. It does affect the algorithm. Uh, We appreciate uh, those of you that are listening have already done it, helping us two years in a row be the highest ranked Chiefs podcast network out there. We appreciate your support and we'll see you all soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard and think others would as well. You can find all six of our channels at KCSN. 
covering the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current. Plus, KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.